Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la Welcome back to the Peruvian Waltz podcast. I am Christopher Viscardo and I will be your host uh, today. Peter Galindo, who is our usual host, uh, will not be joining us. What happened was that uh, he he heard the news that the Libertadores final was moved to Lima to be played at Estadio um, uh, Monumental. And he's decided that he wants to beat the, the traffic to, to Ate. So he started walking. And uh, we, we hope that he'll make it by, by the end of the month from Canada to Peru. Uh, and hopefully he'll get a good seat at the final. So good luck to you, Peter. Uh, just stay warm. Uh, I am joined here by the Montalban brothers once again. I have Diego and Kevin. Let's start with Diego. Diego, how are you doing today? How was, uh, how was the short break that you had there? It's great to be back. Um... You know, I was uh, I was away for a bit. I've uh, been in a couple places. Uh, I was in Aruba. I was just in Denver last weekend. Yeah, I was uh, I was getting married. <laughs> well, that that is that is some good news, and uh, we wish you the best on that for sure. Looks like you you had a lot of fun in uh, Aruba. I think uh, Kevin was there with you too, right, Kevin? Uh, how are you doing? Uh, how was Aruba? Oh, everything was great. I'm not sure if that question was for Diego or for me. <laughs> for, mostly for you, because I, I know, I mean, I recently got married myself, so therefore I know that it can be quite s- stressful for the bride and groom. But like everybody else is like chilling. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I was just, uh, once Diego got married, my vacation really started. Just felt like the weight just kind of lifted off. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, I bet. Anyways, enough chit chat here. Let's let's get down to business. Like honestly, we have two great matches for the Peru national team coming up here pretty soon. Uh, we're going to be playing Colombia. We're going to be playing Chile, and there's been a lot of changes to the changes to the squad. A lot of changes in the call-ups that uh, Ricardo Gareca announced for these two next ma- next two matches. As it's our cust- custom over here, what we're going to do is just start reading the names. Uh, kind of position by position, section by section, and we'll comment uh, on what's been going on. Let's start with the defense. Let me read the list of those that have been called. Luchito Advincula, Carlos Zambrano, Miguel Trauco, Aldo Corso, Luis Abram, Anderson Santamaria, Alexander Callens, and Marcos Lopez. Now, not a lot of surprises in this short list that I just read. In fact, I was looking at the calls for the last 12 months. We haven't had someone new called since the Copa America. Seems like that group has remained steady in the last half of the year. Does that mean that we're not going to be seeing any changes in the starting four lineup, which would be Trauco, Abram, Zambrano, and Advincula? What do you think, Diego? Will we be seeing any changes in the starting uh, four? I think we'll be playing with the same four, um, you know, bearing any injuries or something drastic happening to, to any of our starting, uh, any of our starters in defense. I don't think anything much will change, you know, besides maybe the inclusion of uh, Miguel Araujo at some point coming back into the squad. But other than that, I don't see much change at all. 
Kevin, do you have any opinions on Trauco? As as you might know, he seems to have disappeared from his squad in France for the last few weeks. And we know that he can be the kind of player that is affected when he doesn't have a lot of minutes. Uh, we've seen his performance kind of dwindle with the national team when he hasn't had a lot of minutes with his club. Uh, what can we expect of Trauco? And should we? I mean, this is a question we ask ourselves all the time, literally. Like, should we be looking for a replacement? Like, what are some natural options in that position? Let me start with, uh, you know, Trauco's just, this is his first season in Europe. He's getting acclimated. I know his team had a had a rough patch. The, the coach got let go, brought in a new one. Uh, I'm sure he'll he'll get another chance throughout the season to, to prove himself. But it is, as is custom, working the hard way up. As far as, as maybe another option at fullback, I think we're going to squarely have to look at the the Preolimpico coming up the U23s and see if anything, uh, Dylan Caro, you know, Marcos Lopez, um, see anything else that might be coming up in the chain. Same same could be said for for Anel Vincula side with Cabello, Franco Medina would play the U20s. And just see if, if anyone becomes capable of, of at least challenging for the uh, for the bench spot position. One more question about the defense. Aldo Corso has been the subject of many a controversial play in the last few weeks. If I'm not mistaken, I I, I feel like ever since El Clasico, uh, <coughs> people have been kind of questioning his performance. Will, will he continue to be second fiddle after El Vincula? Is he still the natural replacement there? Um, or do you guys have any predictions maybe for the future of Aldo Corso in the national team in coming months? You know, with, with Aldo Corso, I think I think he's um, he's such a great squad player. Um, and what I mean by that is that he knows the role that he plays and he plays, he plays it to a perfection. Um, he doesn't complain. He just works, 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 um, you know, trains. He seems like he's a good person in the squad. Unfortunately, I I don't I don't think he can he he can or will take Avincula's spot as a starter, as long as he keeps up everything that he's been doing up until now. I think um, he will remain there until we see, like Kevin said, one of these uh, Preolímpicos or under twenty three squad uh, challenge. As far as him, Elau, I think is. It hasn't just been him. It's been Lau who has, you know, their defense was, was I guess, their their main talking point. You know, that was why they were um, in first. And in, in, in the recent matches, they've kind of let up. And you know, I don't know if it's, you know, concentration or it's getting to them, but they haven't been the same since El Clasico. Kevin, do you have any opinions on Aldo Corso and uh, what's going on with him since El Clasico? I think uh, Corso has, has hit his peak. We're never going to forget, you know, how he came up for us during the eliminatorias and, and generated the uh, the free kick for Paolo. That, that's going to be a personal favorite for me forever. But as far as if we'll see him continue out throughout these qualifiers, I have no doubt that he'll continue to be a uh, squad player uh, since Alvincula has been at a pretty high level these last two years. And 
the you know the U23s are are still a little bit green, but we might see transitions throughout the qualifiers. Yeah, I think I would agree with you guys on that one. Let's let's move on now. Let's talk a little bit about the midfield, which I think is the, the section of the team that suffered the most changes uh, during these call-ups. Let's, let me go ahead and read the list, and then we'll comment on a few names. And we'll probably also comment on names that are, that are not on the list, which I, I think are even more interesting. We have Yoshimar Yotung, Renato Tapia, Pedro Aquino, Christopher Gonzalez, Alexis Arias, Carlos Asquez, Christian Benavente, Sergio Peña. A lot of uh, news outlets were reporting that Christopher Gonzalez was out of the squad. That doesn't seem to be the case, right, Diego? Like, uh, what's what's the situation at the moment? So the situation so far is that uh, Christopher Canchita Gonzalez is still not 100% recovered from his muscular injury. And so because of that, um, it seems like Gareca and the team called up Alexis Arias. From what I've been told is that Canchita will not be traveling to Miami to face Colombia. Instead, he will stay in Lima. He will keep, you know, practicing, training, and getting to 100% in hopes of making the match uh, against Chile in Lima. That's interesting. Now, I think a follow-up question to what's going on with Christopher Gonzalez uh, would also be uh, Alexis Arias. I th- he is someone that, as far as I know, has only had one cap uh, with the national team. And uh, Kevin was reminding us that it was the last few minutes of the game that we all want to forget. The game against El Salvador in Washington, D.C., where he saw some 10 or 15 minutes of action at the very end of that match. What, what makes... What makes Alexis Arias so special? Uh, what What do you know about him, Kevin? He seems to have found himself as a one of the key figures in in Melgar, the you know same Melgar that made it to from the pre Libertadores to the group phase to then qualify for Sudamericana. I think at this at this point he is at at least ready to to make the jump to another stronger league. Uh, likely in the Americas, I could see him Argentina, Mexico, even MLS. He's you know he's he's very very good centrally. He likes to to play either as a the more creative midfielder. In uh, typically, I, I think it's a a mid a middle two in Melgar, like uh, kind of like the selección. But he he does have a, a decent shot from range, as seen in the Libertadores. And I, I wouldn't mind to, to see him get a few more minutes in these friendlies. So talking about minutes in the friendlies, Diego, what do you expect the midfield will look like? Uh, especially in the game against Colombia, where we know that Canchita is not going to be there. Do you think that maybe Gareca is going to go for that uh, 4-3-3 again? Or are we going to return to more of our classic style? And is Canchita not being there, you know, going to, Force Gareca to go with one over the other. Um, you know, I, I was actually talking about this offline with my brother. Um, if Aquino is a hundred percent ready, because you know he he just got back from injury as well. Um, he hasn't had any minutes. Uh, and Yotung as well. Um, so if 
they are both 100% and and you know they Ricardo Vareca decides to start them I could see us playing in the 4-3-3 with Aquino Tapia and Yutung again I can see that but if one of them is not 100% tonight and then then I then I see us going reverting back to our 4 uh 4-2-3-1 yeah I, I think that sounds interesting uh Kevin what what do you think about that I, I think it's certainly we certainly have enough options in midfield to to try that out with um, Aquino, Tapia, Yutung. But seeing as how they've gone some time without uh, actual matches, uh, you know, both uh, due to injury, Tapia has been pretty consistent until recently with uh, with Feyenoord. Uh, I I figured that that would be the starting lineup. Although we will probably see someone. Answer maybe ask with Arias. I would, I think, maybe like a second half. And um, you could even see someone like Flores drop into the midfield. But that, that's pretty much the options I see at the time. The great thing about our midfield, I want to say, is that there's, there's, there's so many of them that are polyfunctional, which you can play in a 4 3 3, 4 2 3 1, a 4 4 2, 4 4 2 diamond, narrow, wide. It's, it's incredible. Um, it just depends on how you want to play. Now, I, I think I agree with you, Diego. I, and I think that especially Christopher Gonzalez is, is the perfect example of, of one of our players that can fulfill more than one role. And um, I think that that's, that's always important for Peru. Let's be honest, we don't, we don't have a very deep bench. So therefore, having players that can fill more than one role, if necessary, and that already, you know, play together and understand each other and know each other is, is always good news. Now, th there is an issue for me. There has been times where Peru has played without Yotun and without uh, Cuevita. Okay, and, and this is kind of where I want to take it from there. And honestly, I think that no Yotun, no, no Cuevita, no party. I think that that very center of the, of the pitch is the key for Peru. Obviously, we're going to have Yotun. We're not going to have Cuevita. We we know what's going on with Cuevita, unfortunately. Um, and we all wish him the best in the in the year to come because, honestly, at, at this point, it's going to be too late uh, for him to try to do anything regarding his current situation with Santos. But should we look for a different 10 to replace him? And who else can fill that role maybe maybe orejas maybe uh canchita gonzalez who could who could be the cueva of the future i mean if, if we need one i guess i think just based on on this season i i've really liked how sergio peña has been developing in the era he seems to have become a much more confident player this is might be something uh that he took personal from being left out of the World Cup squad and he's just working harder and trying to get back into the squad. He's finally gotten it after a good couple months of, of consistent playtime, some uh, creative passing, a couple beautiful goals. But that that's really my my vote would be Sergio Peña. Your vote would be Sergio Peña. What about you, uh, Diego? What, what do you think of this whole... Cueva situation. Do we have another Cueva-like player, or what should we look, be looking into? 
Yeah, I mean, I gotta agree. I gotta agree with my brother and say Sergio Peña definitely deserves a shot at a shot at um at taking that number ten role because of what he's been doing with FC Emmons. Orejas has also been great in that role with uh, Monarcas Morelia in Mexico. Um, he's been doing great playing as a tenor, as a second striker. So either one of them definitely deserves a shot. Um, let's not forget, obviously, we have a child, Benavente back. But I think uh, right now at this point, Flores and Peña deserve more of, more of a shot in that role right now. I know that Flores has been doing better uh, in that role. I still have a hard time trusting him as, as the primary conductor of, of the game, I guess, in that area. I, I think, especially when you face really tough uh, center backs, I, I, I don't know. I, I think he doesn't aspire confidence in me. I, I, I think I like Flores where he's at. You do have this question of El Chaval and the fact that El Chaval has played in that position or or people, at least people in Peru would like to see him in that position, I think. You know, he is a big, loyal following in Peru. Now, it seems like Gareca sees him in a different role. If we were to see uh, Benavente have any minutes where would you say we would see Benavente, uh, Kevin? I think Benavente has pretty much been thriving in that uh, attacking midfield role. I think we've only seen him a few times on the wing, and that was in Belgium, so we're talking about a little bit ago. So I, if if he were to play, I would think Benia would, would either be on the bench or, or somewhere in like a 4-3-3 in the midfield. But he he has gotten off to a... A rocky start at, at in France and and Nantes. He I know he made it. He signed up late, and then he's had a little bit of an injury, but he seems to be getting decent minutes there now. Uh, and hopefully he'll turn that around by the time the January and that part of the second half of the season comes through. I I think that if anything, with the lack of Cueva on the squad. This opens the possibility for for new, you know, fresh players to to try to fight for that spot. I I always say that healthy competition is good. Uh, and if you know, when I think that if we end up seeing a Peña versus Benavente kind of duel in the next few months to see who who has a better beginning of the second half of the season then uh, I think one of the two of them, or, or maybe even both of them, might find themselves as um, with permanent positions in the national team. I think that Benavente probably has a little bit more of an advantage, in my opinion. I, uh, I think that Peña maybe has a little bit more of an uphill battle. Then again, Gareca has trusted them both in the past, so I could be wrong on that. Now, we do have a listener question regarding Carlos Asquez, who I believe Diego has interviewed in the past. Uh, this question comes from at Eric underscore Rack, and he says, why we keep leaving Asquez as a replacement on this team? We need him to have a solid midfield. Diego, what, what do you think about Asquez? The same reason why I said a lot of, that's great 
about a lot of our midfielders. They're they're the fact that they're polyfunctional is the same downfall for Osgoes because unfortunately with Orlando, he's played in so many positions and he's good at them, right? He's good, but he hasn't been great at one position, right? So that's that's the problem. Um, you know, he's consistently been playing, but in many different scenarios, many different formations, many different positions. Do I think he deserves to be in the squad? Absolutely, based on what he's been doing. But realistically, you have Tapia Yotung and Aquino, who could play as the DM or as center midfielders. Who are you going to take out for him? In my opinion, those three are above him. Yeah, I I would agree. I, I think that Asquiz is another one of those players, just like maybe Jordi Reina, uh, that are in the in the periphery of the national team, but are not at the core. And so therefore they have probably the role of third fiddle, you know, when it, when it comes to getting call-ups, I think that it's pretty much a fact in Gareca's mind that he, he has an idea of, of the, his core 23 players. And then there's somewhat of a waiting list. And I think that, like you said, Diego, I, I think that the second that one or two of those players you mentioned gets injured, Asquiz is in. His, uh, his lack of being a little bit more versatile uh, is probably his downfall, like you say. Kevin, do you have any opinions on Asquiz? I can just point out the obvious. He's, he seems to be working his way back into the squad. He's been on the last two, three call-ups since, since the Copa America. So that he can only go up from there. Hopefully, you know, he stays consistent with his club form and, and keeps taking advantage of the, you know, second half substitutions that he's getting and just keep trying to, to prove Gareca why he's here. And, and and there are rumors of him joining up with Yotung again in Cruz Azul. Just, just saying. Seems like those two keep following each other. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I think that would be an interesting market for him. I think it, it would most certainly be a step up and uh, a bit of a challenge, uh, you know, so in, you know, in the in the positive sense of, of the word, I guess. Uh, it would be interesting to see Asquez rejoin Joshi. It's, it's not uncommon to see those, like, uh, partnerships just uh, kind of develop and then start following themselves around, so... That could be quite interesting there. Well, let's let's go on to the attack. Let's talk about strikers. Let's talk about uh, the wings. Uh, first of all, no Andre Carrillo. Looks like, as we had all guessed months ago, uh, the idea of staying in the club that he, he's currently at was probably not the best one. What's, what's going on with Carrillo? Uh, is this out of the blue, or is this well a good decision from Gareca to keep him out of the squad, Diego? I personally think it's a good decision to keep him out of the squad uh, for Gareca. I think he he needs to light a fire under him to you know do something. Um, you know, yes, he is consistently playing, but he hasn't overexceeded in a league that everyone or that you would think he would be overexceeding in. He's just playing. All right. He hasn't shown anything. He hasn't been, you know, a star. He's just been all right. So, you know, basically, I think uh, Gareca and, 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 and Comando Tecnico, they wanted him to move. 
they told him, they expressed that feeling to him, and he didn't want to. And while here are the consequences of, you know, not not doing that. Yeah, I you know, if if there is no Carrillo, personally, I like Hurtado. Now, we know that what's going on with Hurtado, too. So, therefore, we get Polo, which, honestly, man, that, that Copa America with Andy Polo was very, very rough for me. And I think for most of the Peru fans. Uh, but yet, he finds himself in the call-ups again. Kevin, what's what's going on with Andy Polo? What's the, what's the situation here? Uh, I mean, is he really the, the most natural replacement for Carrillo other than Hurtado? You know, it's a matter of, of the circumstances right now. He hasn't, he has had some bad games, but I'm saying he's he's been more or less consistent in what Gareca has wanted from him is, is my understanding. I think that at this point, he, he he could fit in this, you know, in the squad. However, I think I think his days are, are numbered. You know, once if Carillo switches, Hurtado's back. Um, you know, we have wingers like Kevin Quevedo coming up, who are currently training with the U23s. Uh, Ray Sandoval coming back from an injury um, in Morelia, and then you never know what what happens from the beginning of a qualifiers to the end. We we definitely don't have most of the names that we started with in uh, from the last qualifiers. Yeah, that's that's very true. And in fact, we've seen some of the old faces that we at some point thought, you know, they're long gone. Some of those old faces have returned. Some of those uh, uh, players that started the process that disappeared at the, you know, the second half of it, all of a sudden kind of came back out of nowhere, maybe, if, if you want to put it that way. Uh, so it seems like the process is cyclical, and I think that it's it's nice to see Gareca say that when when or when he what Gareca says that you know the doors are never closed to any player, he means it, you know. And I, in the end, everybody gets a chance as long as long as you're good enough. On that, let's keep talking about our strikers. Now, I know there's some people that are offensive, Jordi Reina. Uh, but no Jordi Reina this time. Instead, we have, you know, the the man, the legend, Raul Ruiz Diaz. Uh, any surprises there, Diego? No. I mean, like I, I've, I've said this, you know, from the first day I was in the pod, the reason why Raul Ruiz Diaz does not do well in the selección it's because the system doesn't suit him. But if you see how he plays in Seattle, he's tearing it up. He's doing his thing. He's scoring goals, assisting, making moves. So if he's if he's on form like that, there's no way you can you can say we can't call him up. You if if someone's in form like that, you gotta keep calling him up. Yeah, I, I think the issue is that he's the kind of man that lives for that goal. He gets a lot of confidence from that, you know, from scoring goals, from being the star. And I think that the drought in the national team just does not help him. I, I don't think he has that Paolo, you know, spirit that uh, fights it out through the end. I think that it's a little bit of a feedback feedback loop. Uh, what we've seen with Ridias, he scores and that just like motivates him to score another two. At least that seems to be uh, my experience with him. 
from what I've seen at Seattle. And um, honestly, he could very easily be the star of this this year's MLS Cup, which uh, will be played in in Seattle. Uh, he's a very important piece for the national team for sure. But I think it's uh, no question, basically, that the man will be Paolo and will continue to be Paolo, especially in a game against Colombia, who is one of those rivals that Gareca is still yet to beat. I mean, we, we beat about almost everyone at this point, uh, including Brazil. Colombia seems to be somewhat of a tougher opponent. Let's go on to another listener question here. At Iver Prin, he says, I know Beto da Silva is only 22, but he's had little or no continuity in the clubs he's been part of. Is it time to give up the dream of what he could be for the national team? Raymond Manco style, or is there still hope? Kevin, what do you think? I think, uh, first, to Beto's credit, he's never been in any scandal that I've heard of. So it's just strictly been injuries or coach preference. But I, I mean, I think I think we can scale back some expectations. The, the guy has to he has to get minutes wherever wherever he plays, and and work his way back into the squad. I don't think he's he's deserving of it right now. He needs like at least a solid year of of being a starter at at some club. That's just how I see it. I think at this point. You you have uh, strikers in Peru who might just be able to to offer a little bit more just because match fitness and how I'm being on form like Sebastian Latore, Gonzalez Sela, guys uh, Olivares, people will be probably seeing in these in the U23 squad coming up. They will tell me, are you a Beto lover? Um, what do you think of uh, this this Beto question? I've I've always personally been a big fan of Beto. Um, I've always thought he was talented. Unfortunately, he just has had so many little niggling injuries that have just kept coming back. Um, so that's been unfortunate. And I think the other thing is just you know where him and his entourage have decided for him to play is just I don't think has been the right choices. They need to find a club that can utilize him and give him minutes because I think he can do much more than, than what he's doing now. And I, I really do hope to see him back in La Selección one day because I still think he has that talent. He just needs to get that confidence back. He needs to, you know, probably because of all the injuries, I'm sure he, he feels maybe like afraid of, of doing certain actions. So hopefully he can get past all that and, and, and get back to where he was. Yeah, I, I, I personally think that Beto needs to pull a, a Ridias. I remember Ridias having a very successful spell in Chile and then, you know, moving to Brazil and then just not even getting called up to play with, with uh, you know, with the squad that he was in within Brazil, I, be, I believe Coyas maybe. I can't, I can't quite remember, but what Ruiz does is that he pulls back, he comes back, he ends up at Melgar at one point, he's at Universitario for a while, gets that conference bank, gets kind of uh, in shape again, and then launches his career forward again. And I, 
Yeah, I, I, I think just like Diego, I disagree with some of those managerial decisions of insisting, you know, on keeping him out there. I mean, how many continents has, has Beto seen, you know, in his short 22 years at this point, honestly? Maybe maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea for him to come back. I know that Cristal has said that they'd be more than happy to to welcome him. You know, they they receive him with open arms anytime. So, you know, I, I think if I had a message for Beto da Silva, it would be like, you know, just come back. Uh, the season in Peru is going to start again in January. Come back and... Uh, you know, just try the local league and, and go from there. Anyways, with that said, uh, let's move on to somewhat of an interesting question here from one of our listeners at GB underscore Vargas 10. He says, is 3-4-3 an option for the national team? We have the center backs to play this type of system. Would be interesting if Careca would give this a shot. Diego. You're a tactical ex- expert today. Um, what what would a three four three look like for Peru? Like what what would what do you picture? Do we have the personnel to do it? Yeah, absolutely. I think we do. But the way that we play is it is it going to be feasible? Who do you drop? You know, if you're gonna play a three four three, you know that means you're prob- you're probably gonna play with three center backs. You know, who will center backs be? Maybe, you know, Abraham, Araujo, and Zambrano. That's fine. Perfect. But what are you going to do with Alvincola and Trauco? Are you going to put them on the wings in the in the three four three? Then, you know, who would you have in the middle? Yotung and Tapia? Yotung and who? Flores? Yotung and... It's... it's, it's can it be done? Yes. Uh, is it something that I think Gareca will do? No. I think, you know, from the 4-3-2-1, we'll switch over to the 4-3-3 and the 4-4-2, uh, if anything. But going to a three-center-back system, uh, I, I I just don't see Gareca, Gareca going that way. Yeah, I, th- I think especially with a national team, you only get, what, 12 games a year at most? You know, you don't have a major tournament. So... You you tend to usually play it safe. Uh, you know you tend to play the system that uh, you've been practicing, the system that seems to fit most of the players. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of room to to experiment. At least not as much room as you would have with a team that is working together week in and week out, and it has matches. You know, once or twice a week, like like a club would have. So, I, I think it's. It's kind of a really interesting what if it's scenario, but I think, like you said, Diego, probably not not very realistic. Now, Kevin, I have a question for you regarding March, March twenty twenty. That's when the twenty twenty two qualifiers will start for South America. We'll be having the draw for uh, what those matches will be here pretty soon in December. What would you like to see from here until March? Is there any? part of the field that worries you that uh, we should be paying attention to that you would like to see some improvement improvement on maybe I would like to just make sure everyone shows up healthy to March <laughs> I think we've yeah, been, that's, we've been that's true I mean that would be bare minimum right <laughs> I think uh, just just to have just to have you know give Gareca a headache oh should I call Rutal should I call Farfang should I call 
Akin or Yotun, and, and you know, and anyone that has been injured or is is in recovery, etc., are just getting back to it right now. I think that's 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 the first step, and then hopefully our our right wing options just just start killing it in their respective leagues. To me, that that's the the, the weakest part I see right now in in our squad. Diego, what do you think? Same question to you. Uh, anything that you would like to see reinforced uh, from here till March? Anything that you're kind of uh, iffy on? I, I wouldn't say I'm I'm iffy. I mean, you know, it's always been the same old things. You know, taking shots from the outside, not 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 dribbling so much in the box, getting Jefferson Farfan back um, at some point, um, seeing how that all how that's handled, um, hoping that our players stay healthy, hoping that the players, um, you know, keep their form up or, or make the moves that they need to in the winter transfer window. That's what I would hope for. Yeah, and I think that that's what all of us uh, hope for. Uh, other than that, uh, I think that the, the question will probably be settled more after these friendlies. I think that we have some good competition in both Colombia and Chile, uh, and especially, I think, especially in Colombia, I think those would be the rivals to beat. If you, if you ask me, now let's um, let's switch topics for a minute here. Let's go to the Clausura, which is almost almost over. Now we had quite an interesting match day this weekend. All three clubs, los tres compadres, right? They all lost their respective games. Now, we don't have fans from all three clubs, but we do have a, a Alianza Corazón fan. Kevin, what's going on with Alianza Lima? What went wrong this weekend? They uh, consistently can't hold a lead to save their life. Um, however, through just you know sheer effort, basically by just having one of the most effective attacks in the league, they are at the top of the table, even if it's just by a point. Uh, if they can hold it, it's very tough. I know they, they are going to, to Juliaca this weekend to play off with the Apertura Champions Binacional, who are now under Mosquera. Mosquera is deadly right there. That That is tough. You know, Mosquera dies for all those, you know, high-altitude matches. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and he has so much experience now coming from from two teams in Bolivia, playing Sudamericana, playing Libertadores, and and having respectable results for the most part. As far as what Alianza can do, it's a little bit tough. I I think they they they're miss gonna be missing like six players due to injury, suspensions, and selección. So uh, if they can, if they can snatch a point. From Juliaca, I think, I think they might be able to hold on to that lead going into the next rounds. For sure, for sure. Diego, do you have any opinions of what's going on in the local league? I mean, do you think that Vinacional has good chances to, to just win it all? Honestly, I mean, they have a game against Alianza, and then I believe that they close against Sporting Cristal. Or do you expect one of the other two compadres to step up to the plate and do something? Man, the way the way it's been played out, it's like all the other teams are serving it on a silver platter for Minacional. 
So <laughs> at this point, like Kevin said, you know, Alianza can't can't hold on to games. Uh, La U can't score. Cristal don't know what happened there. It's just like how we said earlier, uh, consistently inconsistent. Very interesting situation indeed. What we're seeing uh, in the Clausura, and honestly, I think that Binacional are probably going to pull off what Real Garcilaso tried to pull off some five or six years ago. You know that that local, you know, provincial team that makes it to the first division and wins it all. Unfortunately, Real Garcilaso had two or three three different tries to the title and wasn't able to get it. But somehow that, you know, like that sky blue jersey must bring good luck. I think if I, I was to start a club in Peru, I'd probably make sure that they wear that color. It seems to be uh, good for for teams, uh, for new teams that want to win the tournament. We have the other end of the, of the spectrum. Pirata is gone. Goodness gracious. Uh, I'm sorry if there's any Pirata fans out there, but honestly, I'm glad they're gone. Uh, it's just a, a joke. Tour tournament. Um, what what else is going on with relegation, though, Kevin? Uh, there's been some rumors of uh, Municipal losing points. Uh, what do you know about that? So it seems like uh, it could be for a total of five points, from my understanding, and it's all related to debts, possibly all to the players. August was some minus two points, September minus three, something like that. They can challenge it, or they at least have to put a huge down payment on the on the August one to to stop that one. Re- regardless of that, it's it's pretty close right now. Uh, I think San Martin has thirty one points. Boys the same, and Mooney is is up by three. The points deduction would really affect them. It would put them below everyone. But regardless of that, I think the the decider for who goes down will be in the I think it's the penultimate match of. San Martin versus Muni, and we'll we'll see what's what. I I think Muni is really fighting to stay up. We just saw them. We we actually saw all the relegation contenders uh, have a victory. I believe. I think San Martin won. Boys. And, Sport and boys won. won. I think what they say is pretty much safe at this point. Yeah, definitely. And Muni, they they gave uh, Lau quite a gift. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you were happy about that, Kevin. That was, I, that was quite a surprise. I didn't, I didn't mind the news. <laughs> yeah, no, just completely, you know, not. it's not like you're biased or anything. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I think it would be unfortunate if Municipal goes down like this again, you know, especially when they've had a few good seasons in the first division and now to see themselves go back down. You know, as in the last 20 years, Municipal has been at the very top and at the very bottom and now back at the very top. And hopefully this won't be a, them going back down uh, this season. I think that would be unfortunate, especially because El Chino Rivera, in my opinion, has been doing a very good job with the resources that he's been allocated, which honestly are not many. Uh, we know the situation that Municipal finds themselves in in the last few months. So to close the pod now, uh, let's talk about the most wonderful time of the year. For some of you, that might be Thanksgiving. For some of you, that might be Christmas. Uh, For me over here is the end of the local Peruvian leagues, Copa Peru, second division. 
Copa Bicentenario especially. We have quite a match uh, ahead of us. We will be having Atletico Grau in the final against Sport Huancayo tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Going to be the first domestic cup final in Peru since 2011. Obviously, you were a country that is not used to these this kind of tournaments. Uh, do you guys have favorites, Diego? Is there is there uh, one of those teams that you would like to see win it all? I'm gonna I'm gonna sit on the fence here and say I have no horse in this race, man. I just uh, I'm gonna try to watch the game and I hope to just see something fun, entertaining. Fair enough, fair enough. I I get it, I get it. Two two provincial teams, no no Lima. No Lima teams in this final. Uh, Atletico Grau, of course, fighting to come back to the first division after some 20-something years in in the lower leagues. And Sport Huancayo, which honestly has a great advantage because of where you know they play their home games in Huancayo. Uh, and somewhat of a solid midfield team for the last decade or so. Kevin, uh, do you have any do you have any horses uh, in this race? The only horse uh, you could technically say is that I want the first division clubs to 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 prove that they're actually better than the second division ones. <laughs> well, we're gonna have to disagree. <laughs> um, I I can't say I know too much about the the team from Piura, but I I would say that it, it would be it would be an upset for them since they they can't even qualify at first division at this time. It could be a good. Uh, a good argument on on behalf of the of the cup, if maybe it led to to promotion, because it, it seems like the second division clubs has taken this very seriously to have gotten this far. And and you're right on that, Kevin. The the Liga Two uh, judicial division just handed down a decision today that gave the points between uh, of the match between Santos and Atlético Grau to Santos, which means that. Atletico Grau goes into this into this match with no possibilities of direct promotion. That means that they would have to go through the playoff system that will be played, you know, in a, in a few weeks here. Um, but they, they have nothing guaranteed. Now, the the interesting question to me is the fact that Comebol announced this year that from now on, no second division teams would be playing in international competition. That is Sudamericana Libertadores. Then there was a big deal with Argentine clubs and so then you know 24 hours later said well never mind actually we're going to allow it just for next year but then it's going to be forever you know prohibited we know that Comebol changes their mind about every other day you know it's it's a coin toss with Comebol so it would be interesting to see a potential second division club participating in the Sudamericana and then who knows? Maybe even Comebol changes their mind again before the start of the tournament, and they lose that spot. So um, I, I think it's going to be a quite an interesting final. And and I personally, going against what Kevin wants, uh, I, I I always like to see the second division teams move forward, and and I do hope that they win it all. Anyways, the the very last thing to close the podcast is our boy Raúl Ridías, Diego. Raul Ridias in the MLS Cup final. Yes, sir. Can't wait. They play at home against uh, Toronto. Uh, man, I cannot wait. Uh, I hope Raul Ruiz keeps doing his thing in the MLS playoffs. 
now the final, I hope he uh, brings one home for for Peru. That's right. And Diego, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dimon. Also, Kevin, any shout outs to Raul Ruiz or to other teams or any other players or, and, and so forth? Uh, and where can we find you on Twitter? I, I always like to see Peruvians uh, succeed abroad. Maybe we'll, we'll see Rui Diaz bring home the MLS title. Uh, I think Carrillo is also playing the the final of the, the international tournament there. But you guys can find me at K Montalban. Awesome, awesome, awesome. My shout-out this week is to Sport Ancash, who unfortunately lost their match against uh, Garcilaso, Deportivo Garcilaso in Cusco last week. So they're out of competition for the rest of the year, but I'm sure we'll get our revenge next year. Uh, there's a possibility that we could have up to three Cusco teams in the first division next year. We also know that this Sunday we're going to have Cienciano against Santos. It's going to be quite a final in the second division. So if you have time, I would recommend that you, you check out that match. And uh, I'm sure that Peter will give him five minutes to to be able to recap those lower leagues next week. Uh, for the enjoyment of all of you, my name is Christopher Viscardo. You can find me at V-I-Z underscore F-C. This has been the Peruvian Waltz Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We are signing off. Rubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal. González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas. Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón. Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan la selección.